Thank you for that. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. Last week we looked at uh, the conflict, really, that exists in Romans chapter number 7. And a wonderful chapter, really, that talks about the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And, uh, and you'll remember that I, I said that that was a, uh, and certainly is, a proof of our salvation. And that's true. Uh, the lost people, as I stated last week, really don't struggle uh, with are they saved? They don't struggle really with sin. They don't think, well, it's uh, really nothing for them to live a life of sin. But a believer, somebody who's saved, knows within themselves because the Holy Spirit dwells within them and bears witness that, hey, these things are wrong and you ought not do them. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is there to convict us and to show us that. And so the believer constantly struggles with that. And that's a wonderful proof of our salvation to show, hey, that we are born again. The Holy Spirit does dwell within us. And, uh, and what a wonderful proof of our salvation. In Romans chapter 8, we kind of started it last week a little bit because uh, I, I could not leave you with just that conflict that was going on in Romans chapter 7. So I got into uh, chapter 8 and verse number 1. And we're going to really cover that this evening. Uh, Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 1. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And he covered that in Romans chapter number 6. He covered some of that. Verse number 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of His own Son, in the excuse me, in the likeness of His of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And let's stop right there and, uh, and let's pray before we get into our message. Father, we thank you again uh, for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to be in your house. God, I pray once again that you'd use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, Father, that you would touch hearts as only you can. God, I pray that you would help us, give us clarity of mind, clarity of thought, and, and give us clear understanding, Father, of your word. And, uh, and God will thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at Romans chapter 8, uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenal chapter. Really, many have said it's one of the crowning jewels of the Bible, uh, as it's just a phenomenal chapter that covers so many things. And when we start Romans chapter 8, uh, we, un we need to understand that verse 1 may be the beginning of chapter number 8, but it is not the beginning of the topic that he is covering. Uh, because he left off in Romans chapter 7, you'll recall that he was talking about that conflict, as I stated, and really that kind of dumps into Romans chapter 8. That's why when he opens up, he, is, he says this, there is therefore, and uh, whenever I heard a preacher say this, and it's easy to remember, all right, so it'd help you, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to look and see what it is there for. 
uh, because it holds a place, but he's referencing something that he's already talked about. So you have to look back by, by force of context. You have to look back into Romans chapter 7 and understand what he's talking about. Look with me in verse number 24. He says in verse number tw- of chapter 7, chapter 7 and verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. Remember, he's talking about the conflict that's going on within him. And the spirit desires to do right, and the flesh desires to do wrong, and there's this constant battle that is going on inside of him, and, and he, out of frustration, you can only almost see him, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from, this, uh, from, this, uh, from the, the body of this death? And he's talking about his flesh. And then he goes on in verse 25 and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's talking there about salvation because Jesus provides us with salvation. And he goes on and he says, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He goes on in chapter 8 and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Before we go any further, I do want to cover this. I have this in my notes, though a little further down. Um, That phrase, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, in verse number 1, is removed in the majority of the modern Bibles. Uh, the English Standard Version, the American Standard Version, the Revised Standard Version, all these modern Bibles have taken this phrase out. And, uh, and it leaves you, really, that you, leaves you lacking in the Word of God. Uh, God gave us that phrase, and I don't like it uh, when they are, they're just ripping out phrases and wh- ripping out words out of the Word of God and say, well, those don't belong. No, those do belong. God put them in there, and they belong in there. And so uh, understand this, that that phrase belongs there. In the King James Bible, we see it. It is part of the Word of God. And so I want us to be clear on that uh, because uh, there's so many that will tell you, and this is the way they word it, make it sound really good. They say, in some of the better, older manuscripts, this phrase is not used. That's the way they'll say it. Um, and listen to me, that's, that's, that's just wrong. That's not true. Uh, and in, the, in the, uh, the, the Greek text that our Bible was translated, which is the one that was most used by all the apostles in the early churches, hey, it's in there. And, uh, and it's solid. And so uh, that's one of the reasons, one of many reasons, that we stick with the King James Bible. Uh, because it's accurate. It's been proven over years. It, this is off topic, but I don't care. Uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, this has always bothered me. We've talked about this, I know, before, but we, I forget when it was. We recently had a Bible uh, translator in, and it bothers me that they continue to produce Bibles in English when there are languages that do not have a single verse published in their language. Why do they do that? I'll tell you why. Because there's money to be had in America. That's why. You say... Pastor, that's a strong charge. It is, but I can promise you that's why it's copyrighted. That's why if you buy yourself a printing press and you buy yourself rolls of paper and you go out and you try to print the ESV, the ASV, the RSV, the 
KSV, whatever else is new they're going to come up with, they will sue the pants off of you. Why? Because they're making money off of it. You know, in order to copyright it, they have to make so many changes in order to put a copyright on it. If it was the same as this, they couldn't copyright it. And therefore, they could not make money off of it. And so that's where the whole belly of the beast lies and has nothing to do with the message tonight other than they took that phrase out of many of the modern Bibles and it is very problematic to me and it bothers me uh, when I see these, uh, these phrases and these things that say, well, in the better and older manuscripts it says this. Well, that's just not true. And our Bible is faithful. It's been proven and tried with years and we don't need a new Bible. Uh, and so the word of God is, is faithful. And he says here in verse number eight, and I want to explain this. It's very important. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. One of the reasons many, many people shy away from that latter phrase is because they say, oh, condemnation. Can I explain to you what condemnation is? I looked up condemnation in the dictionary, and it simply means this. To pronounce to be wrong, to disapprove of, to declare the guilt of. And so simply it means uh, to, to declare that somebody is wrong. Don't confuse this with eternal condemnation in hell. They're two different things. There is an eternal condemnation, but he's saying here uh, in verse number eight or verse number one, there is there not there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He is not saying that if you do not walk in the spirit, that you will be condemned to hell. That is not what he's saying at all. Condemnation simply means to be guilty. And listen, uh, we've talked about it before in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There is a time when God is going to hold every Christian accountable for our actions that we have done. And, uh, and we're not going to be cast into hell. You are saved for all of eternity. But, uh, but there, there is a chance that, hey, uh, God will say, listen, you could have done so much more with your life. And you didn't. Let me give you an illustration, and I like this illustration, and I hope it, it helps you understand this. All of you, are ch you, all of you, not our children, but you were children at one point, right? Yes, you were. All right, you were. Um, and at some point, your parents caught you, and you were guilty of something. Raise your hand if you did something wrong as a child, all right? Every hand ought to be going up because everybody did something wrong when they were a child. And let me ask you this, how many of your parents said, well, I caught you, you did something wrong, and they disciplined you, and they told you my hand went up, all right, because my parents caught me, and I was guilty of something. And when your parents were um, talking with you and, and telling you what you did was wrong, they were condemning you. You were guilty. Did your parents at that point, and you don't need to raise your hand uh, on this one, but your parents at that point did not disown you. They did not say, my dad did not say, Shane Rice, you are no longer part of the family. Get out of my house because you did wrong. Dad, I'm only two years old. Tough. 
You're done, buddy. You crossed the line. You are out. No. Your parents did not do that. My parents did not do that. Matter of fact, my parents continued to love me, even though I did something that was wrong. And your parents continue to love you uh, even when you mess up in your life. We do not always make choices that are pleasing to our parents, but our parents always love us and they, they own us and they claim us as their children. And so that is kind of the condemnation I want us to understand in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 1. He says it again, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, every single moment of every single day of your life, there will be no condemnation. The problem is, we'll fail at that. We just will. We're imperfect people. And I wish we could walk in the Spirit. But we will, we will at some point and some time in our life, mess up in our life and not walk in the Spirit as we ought to walk in the Spirit. And so uh, there is no condemnation. Somebody has said once that... Uh, uh, this chapter is a wonderful chapter because it starts uh, with no condemnation. It ends in Romans chapter 8 with no separation. For what can separate us of the love of God? Uh, neither depth nor, nor height nor uh, principality. And it goes on through this list of things that cannot separate us. And in the middle of the chapter, it deals with the fact that all things are working together for the good of God. And so what a wonderful chapter that we're going to look at. And we're not going to cover all of that by any stretch of the imagination tonight. There's just simply too much to get to. Uh, but understand this, uh, that that phrase is perfectly fine in the King James Bible. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it being there because God put it there. And so it's absolutely fine uh, in our Bible. Matthew Henry notes this, and I thought this was interesting. He says this uh, about about. about Romans 8.1, he says, He does not say there is no accusation against them, for there is. But the accusation is thrown out and the indictment quashed. I had to look that word up. I thought it was a typo for sure. But it means crushed, all right? Quashed, Q-U-A-S-H-E-D. It's an English word. He does not say there is nothing in them that deserves condemnation, for there is, and they see it and own it and mourn over it and condemn themselves for it, but it shall not be their ruin. Praise the Lord that we, we see our mistakes, we, we own our, to our heirs, and, and we understand that, but we don't have to live there. We don't have to dwell there. Hey, praise the Lord that God has forgiven us for sin and we can run right back to Him and we can get that forgiveness and we can uh, continue walking in the Spirit uh, where there is no condemnation and we can continue living for the Lord Jesus Christ and we ought to do those things. And so the first thing that we see in our text, I just have three things to point out. And the first thing that we see is our walk. He says that in verse number one, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In verses two and three, he covers how our walk changed. And he goes back and he kind of recovers some of the stuff that he talked about in, in Romans chapter number six. But he says, therefore, the law of the spirit, 
for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. This is part of the package of salvation that we received. That listen, uh, when we got saved, we now have the option in our life to choose to do what is right. Before salvation, as I've stated, people live in their sin. The lost world right now, tonight, lives in their sin and has no remorse and no uh, idea of it. It does not bother them. They will continue next week to do the same thing that they're doing this week. But a saved person can say, man, I don't want that. God, help me to live and choose to do right in my life. And God will help us and God will strengthen us. And we can see that very clearly in those verses because uh, the Spirit of God dwells within us. And uh, the Old Testament law was simply not able to save men. Look at verse number three. He says, for the law... For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, the law was weak. It was not able to bring salvation. Save your spot here in Romans. Go to Hebrews with me. Chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Verse number 1. Hebrews 10.1. These few verses, I think it's so important that we look and see these because it's, it just, it's so clearly laid out here in Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 10 and verse number 1. He says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of, those, of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, what you need to understand in verse 1 there is the sacrifices that were offered could never make the people that offered them perfect. You see that in that verse. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, one more time, because there's quite a few words there. For the law having a shadow of good things. That shadow of good things is a foreseeing of Jesus Christ, the lamb that they offered. Picture Jesus Christ as the lamb that would come and take away the sins of the world forever. And all of those sacrifices pointed towards Jesus Christ. So that shadow is simply talking about a prophecy of things to come. And he continues there on the, well, I don't know, after the second, after the first uh, comma. And he says, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually to make the comers thereunto perfect. So he said those, those sacrifices simply would not perfect the people that brought them. Verse number two. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. In other words, if those sacrifices had covered their sins and had made them perfect, there would be no need to continue to offer sacrifices. But instead, every year and on a regular basis in the Old Testament, they would offer those sacrifices. Verse number three. 
But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. In other words, it would bring up their sin and say, man, I failed again this year. And, uh, and that sacrifice is simply not enough from last year. I need to bring a new sacrifice. Verse number four, and we'll stop here. He says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So what he's saying is the law was never designed to remove our sins from us, specifically the Old Testament law, but rather simply pointed to Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and being that perfect sacrifice. The law never intended to save man, but rather pointed out that man was sinful and that man would repeat and continue their sin. And so we can see that in in Hebrews 10 verses 1 through 4. That's basically what he's saying there in verse number 3. But he says in verse number 4, back in our text in Romans 8, 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Then in other words, that when we follow and obey the Spirit uh, of God in our life, hey, there's righteousness. Again, let me point out, no thanks to our own flesh, but thanks to the Spirit of God that helps us, that, that allows us, that enables us, that empowers us to be able to choose to do what is right in our life. And we find that that righteousness of God can be fulfilled in our life. And so we see that in verse number four. And so we see our walk is so important. Our walk would be our outward actions. We've been covering this in the adult Sunday school class for, um, I don't know, a good seven weeks, I think, or eight weeks maybe now, uh, the fruit of the Spirit and, and just living our life uh, and, and submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit every given day and every given hour of our life will produce the fruit of the Spirit of our life. And so we ha- it's something that we have to be conscientious of and work at in, in that being submitted Submitted to God. That's where our work is in submitting and submitting and submitting. And listen, it's not easy because your flesh does not desire it. And your flesh desires to do uh, what it's always done and not to be disciplined and not to force itself to do what is right. And so uh, there is the effort and the work on our part to submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. That is the walk in the spirit that the Bible refers to on a regular basis. Look with me at verse number five. Not only do we have our walk that's dealt with in verses one through four, but I want you to notice our mind that's dealt with in verses five through eight. He says this, verse number five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. And he starts talking about the mind here. Verse number six, he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. 
We find that there's the, the mind is dealt with in verses 5 through 8 that we looked at. Now, what's the mind mean? Uh, it's not physically talking about our, our mental capacity, but rather our mind and the intention and purpose and inclinations and desires of our life. In other words, what we desire to do. And, and Paul is explaining this, and he said, listen, even back in, in, verse, uh, in chapter number 7, he says, with my mind I desire to do those things that are right, but my flesh constantly pulls me aside, and I end up doing what is wrong. And so he's saying in our mind, in our intentions, uh, we have to set our mind to, to, to something. Have you ever put your mind to something? Um, I... I I like to tinker. I just, I'm a, I'm a tinkerer, and I like to fix things. And my wife accuses me of th- fixing things that aren't even broke. And I, I don't know that that's true. Uh, I, I only try to fix things that are broke. I really do. And, uh, and so we got, this, uh, we got this leaf blower in my garage, and, and, and I, I don't want a new leaf blower. I, I like to fix my old leaf blower, okay? So, uh, so this thing's not working right, and, and so uh, I, I go down there, man, I tear it all apart, and, and, uh, and I find out well, here's the problem with it. So I put it all back together, and, and man, I, I'm, I'm, right, I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. I'm going to pull this thing. It's going to fire right up, right? So I pull it, nothing. And I pull it. And nothing. And I pull it, and I pull it, and I pull it, and I pull it, and I'm out of breath, and I'm about dying, and I'm like, it ain't starting. I set it down, and I walk away. But I didn't give up. It's in my mind. And it's going to bother me until I get that thing running. And, uh, and, and it was yesterday I was tinkering on it, and, and I put it all back together, and it didn't run, and so I went to bed. I got up early this morning and I was studying and, and working and preparing and, and, uh, and uh, I, I got all done and, and I probably had a, a half hour before church. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go to the garage. My wife said, no. I said, you're right, I'm not going to go to the garage. So I came to church instead. And after church, we went home and you know what I did? And I went to the garage. I ha- it just bugs me. It sets in my mind, and I've got it in my mind that I, have, I know what the problem is now. So I go back to my garage, and, and, I, and I'm checking some stuff, and I, I, I won't bore you with all the technical details, but I'm checking some stuff, and I'm like, aha, I know what it is. And, and then she called me up for dinner, and so I had, to, I had to stop what I was doing, and I go up, and I eat dinner, and, and, uh, and sure enough, man, as soon as I'm done, I'm like, I'm going back to the garage. I'm, I know what it is. I know where the problem lies. And, I, and so I, I, put it, I, I figure it out and I put it all back together. Man, I, I pull that thing. And I'm like, it's going to fire. And I pull it and I pull it and I pull it and I pull it and I pull it. And now I'm out of breath again. And it doesn't start. And I'm like, I'm going to have to walk away again. I'm going to have to think about this. And I'll think about it, and I'll think about it, and I'll think about it, and it will stay in my mind until I get that thing fixed because it is, it is on my mind. I've set my mind to getting that thing fixed. I've set my heart to making that thing run. And there is absolutely, I told him today uh, at the dinner table, I was like, this is done gone from, uh, from me trying to fix this thing to an out, out, flat-out war, and I've declared war against this thing, and it's not going to win against me. I'm going to win. And it's not running yet, but this week, I'm going to get that thing running. Because I've set my mind to it. And it consumes me. And when I sit down to rest, I'm thinking in my mind, 
Is it this? Did I check this? Did I do this? And it consumes my mind because I just like to tinker and I like to fix things. And Paul says here, he says in verse um, number five, for they that are after the flesh do mind, and they, in other words, they set their intentions and their purposes and their desire and their inclinations to the flesh. He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Listen, if you, were, if you were to play a sport, for many young people, they, uh, many of them have a desire and, and they, they want to play, play a certain sport. And, and when they're young, man, I am telling you, they eat and sleep and drink that sport and that's what they think about and their mind is consumed with it. And sports are not wrong, but, but I am saying this, uh, that listen, our mind and our intentions of our heart should be consumed with spirituality and spiritual things. And I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to have a hobby or do other things, but I am saying this, our life should not be consumed with other things. But our life should be consumed with God. And our mind and our heart and our intent and our purpose should be set towards spiritual things. The Bible says this in Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. So often we're drawn away. I remember the, the song, I, the Mark Rogers family, I believe, sings it. And, and maybe he sang it before, I don't remember. And, and it has a, a verse in it that says, um, and I don't remember the words exactly, but something about this world with all its sparkling houses and all its treasures and all its toys, it's constantly drawing away. And listen, the world will constantly, constantly promote that before you. And all your coworkers and all the people in the world, they're constantly talking about things in this world. And it's not wrong to have things. I've said that so many times. It's not. But that shouldn't be our affection. That shouldn't be our heart. Our heart should be set on God. And he says here in, in, in verse 5 that uh, minding the flesh. Look at with me real quick in these verses. In verse number 6 he says this about minding the flesh. For to be carnally minded is death. You look at that and you say, well, listen, if we're saved... Are we going to die? I would remind you as we, uh, as we go through these that we still have a physical body. And we still can't die. We'll go to heaven. We're saved. We're born again. He's talking to saved people who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you'll remember back in Corinthians when he was talking about the Lord's Supper and he said, he said there are some of them that were partying in the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper turned into this great big banquet and great big feast that they would enjoy and, uh, and it became carnal. And he said, for this reason, many, not just that, but they didn't examine themselves and they would live in their and they would be, say, well, it's okay to, to be in my sin and go ahead and partake of the Lord's Supper. And he said, for this reason, many sleep among you. And he was not talking about they fell asleep during church. He was talking about the fact that they were dead physically, that their life was taken away from them. And, and listen, if you die as a Christian, 
you are going to heaven. I want us to understand their eternal security is solid. This is not talking about losing our salvation. But listen, uh, how many Christians have met an early death that they could have that could have been avoided if they'd have simply walked with the Lord? And I'm just saying that uh, to be carnally minded, the Bible says, is death. And if you live in the flesh, listen, I, I've, I've talked with a lot of people and I see a lot of people. And I can tell you this, worldly living and party lifestyle is very hard on your body. It destroys it. And that fact uh, will take you to an early grave. It's just fact. There's no two ways about it. And so minding the carnally minded things is death. Look at verse number 7. He gives us another thing that, that, that minding the flesh is. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity, enmity against God. Now what does that word enmity mean? It's a state of opposition, hostility, or the enemy going against God. And listen, as a, everyone, we can illustrate this real easily in a child-parent relationship. How many children have, have gone against their father's wishes or gone against their mother's wishes? And it happens on a regular basis. And oftentimes, uh, listen, that, that parent is heartbroken. And that parent, they don't disown their child. They still love their child. They still want to spend time with that child, but they are displeased and they are unsatisfied uh, with the direction that that child has taken in their life. And so uh, the same thing, listen, to be carnally minded would take us against God's wishes for our life. And it's displeasing to him in verse number eight, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I was reminded of this verse in Hebrews eleven six. The Bible says, "But without faith, it is impossible to please Him." And the adverse of that is the flesh cannot simply cannot please God. So we have our walk, and that we ought to walk in the uh, in the uh, in the Spirit and live in the Spirit, and then our mind. And if we are mindful of carnal things, then we're going to have all these problems. If we mind spiritual things, look with me real quick in verse number 6. He says this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'd remind us as Christians that Jesus said this in John 10.10. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God doesn't desire, sometimes young people think this, God desires to limit their life and not allow them experience it. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God wants you to experience life to the fullest, and experiencing life to the fullest is not living in the flesh, but living in the spirit. And to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's nothing like having the peace of God. Matter of fact, there's a real shortage of personal peace in people's lives because there's a real shortage of minds being stayed on God. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Listen, if we'll keep our mind on spiritual things and we'll mind spiritual things in our life, listen, 
You'll have the peace of God. Oh, I'm not saying you won't have troubles and you won't have difficulties. You'll run into problems. You'll run into difficulties. But you'll have peace going through those problems. You'll have life. And God will bless because that's the spiritual mind. And so we have the mind uh, in verses 5 through 8. Look with me in 9 and 10 and, and we'll wrap this up. This is not going to take long in verses 9 and 10. He says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Lastly, not only do we have our, our walk with God and our mind that should be stayed on God, and then we have lastly in verses 9 and 10, we have our position. And what he's saying is, listen, if you're saved and if you're born again, and if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then he says there in verse number 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, hey, if you're not saved, then the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, and you do not belong to God. But if you are saved, the Spirit of God dwells within you and you are God's and positionally you are a child of God and you belong to God. And we ought to live in the Spirit. And we'll find that uh, all throughout this, this passage as we see that there. And uh, our flesh, he says it in, in, back in verse number 8, cannot please God, but positionally we are in Christ. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, you can just mark these down, says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's saying we're sitting together right now with God in heaven. And you say, man, how is that? Your guess is as good as mine. But I know this, he said it. And so positionally, we are in Christ. Positionally, we are saved. Positionally, we are seated uh, in Christ in heaven. Physically, we still live our life here on this earth. And we'll have that conflict. And we'll have to walk in the Spirit. And we need to mind the things that are spiritual. And we'll have to work towards those things. But listen, at some point... As he referred to in, in Romans chapter 7, this old flesh, praise the Lord, it's going to be gone. We won't struggle with that in heaven any longer. It makes heaven that much sweeter to know that, hey, our flesh will be gone. It will be, the Bible says, it will be made incorruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality that we would never die, that we would never be corrupted again. Praise the Lord for that. We look forward to that day, and positionally, we are in Christ. And in verse 10, uh, he says that we have life because of the Spirit. He says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And we've been spiritually reborn, born again, as we say in John chapter 3. And so praise the Lord that we have life and we have the Spirit of God. That we can, uh, we ought to walk in the Spirit. We ought to mind the things of God. And positionally, we are located in Christ. We are saved. 
for all of eternity. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. Say, oh boy, then I'm going to go live how I want. You know what? You can. You won't, you won't be happy doing it. You won't enjoy it. Matter of fact, your life might even be cut off short because of it. You'll go to heaven, yes. But when you stand before God, you won't be pleased with the things that you've done in your life. And you'll have regrets and wish that you had done things differently than what you have done. And that's kind of what Paul is explaining here in Romans chapter 8. And I hope that helps uh, you understand it and grasp it, that we are to walk in the Spirit, that we are to mind spiritual things, and positionally we are located uh, in, in the Spirit, and we are saved, and we thank God for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet this evening, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for just the instruction, Father, that you give in your word. And God, we as your children desire to live right, to walk right, to do right. And God, I pray that you'd help us, you'd strengthen us. And God, that you'd help us to submit our flesh to you and to mind spiritual things, to set our intentions and our inclinations and our desires towards you. God, it's a struggle and the world certainly pulls at us. God, we ask for your help and your strength. And God, we know that that'll be accomplished by spending time in your word every day. Spending time walking with you and having a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help each and every person, cause them to live for you, to mind spiritual things, to walk in the Spirit. And Father, we thank you that positionally we are located in you and that we're saved. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person God, if there's one here that does not know you and is not saved, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show them their need for salvation. And God, that you would touch their heart. Show them, Father, that they're not saved and they're not walking with you and they're not minding spiritual things because they're not able to because they're not saved. Well, thank you for that. And God, I pray that they would trust you tonight. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God spoke into your heart, the altar is open. Walking in the Spirit, minding the things of the Spirit. And if you're saved, praise the Lord, positionally you're in Christ. Maybe you're here and you're not saved and you'd like to be saved. You can come down front and we'll be happy to have somebody show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. Maybe you're a Christian and you just want to ask God to help you or thank God for the salvation that you have. Whatever the need, the altar is open as the piano plays.
appreciate that. It's 